There you go. And it grew. Good evening. Welcome to Bay Presbyterian Church on this week of weeks as we consider an event so wondrous, so astounding, so amazing that 2,000 years after it's happened, nearly that long, after it's happened, we still cannot fathom what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So welcome to this service of worship. Just a couple of things to mention. First of all, of course, remember, we look forward to gathering for worship this Lord's Day. We will continue to have our two morning worship times at 9 and 11. The following week, we will return to a single worship service at 10 o'clock. With regard to this evening, two things that I can think of at the moment. First of all, we will not have screens this evening with the lyrics up, so you will need to use the back of your order of service. So that begs the question, does anybody need one? Okay, we need a couple up here if somebody could help us. Right over here. Does anyone else grab what you have there? We've got one in the back and two right here. So just wanted to alert you to that. Raise your hands if you need one. And then one other thing to mention as we're getting ourselves ready. At the conclusion of the service, we will end a little differently. Following the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we will have the benediction. After the benediction, there will be a final hymn. That will be our final act of worship this evening. We will sing the hymn in response to the benediction. Now, I'm not going to uh, exhort you to leave silently, but it may be, as we have contemplated such a holy event this evening, that perhaps you might want to leave being somewhat retrospect as we reflect upon what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So I'm not imposing anything on you simply suggesting that we might want to exit quietly as the service concludes. In any event, we are certainly thankful and glad to be here as we are grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has achieved and accomplished for us. We do give him praise. So if you'll take your bulletins, look to your call to worship. And Carol Herbold is going to Carolyn Herbold is going to lead us. And we're thankful. Good evening. Uh, the call to worship tonight is from Hebrews 9. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. For Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus, the and 
and a wonderful hymn we have as we worship our Savior. Oh, sacred head now wounded, let's stand together and sing as we worship. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you, to adore you. But as we do so, God, we are mindful of the significance of this night. For it was on this night that our Lord Jesus, after breaking bread with his disciples, would go out to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray and sweat drops of blood and ask his Father, If it would be your will, would you take this cup from my hand? Lord Jesus, we thank you that in the end you acquiesced to the will of your Father and you took that bitter cup. Tonight, as we worship, we are mindful of that evening and we would pray, our God, that you would be with us, in us, and among us by your Spirit. 
that you would fall on us as we recognize the significance of this night in this holy week. So bless us here tonight, and may you be blessed. We make a prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, and who, while on this earth, taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Scripture lesson this evening comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. This is the Word of God. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again from this fruit of the vine until one day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God.
You bow for prayer with me. Our great God and heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the plan of salvation that you put into place before the world began. And you thought of us above all, knowing the trouble that we would be in, knowing the sin and misery that we would find ourselves in. You put into a plan you put a plan into place whereby our Lord Jesus would come to this earth and begin his humiliation being born in a manger and living his life as a man and then dying on a cross not as a martyr but to accomplish your ends, our redemption. And so God, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Lord Jesus, how we thank you tonight for the sacrifice that you made, rejected and alone. You were trampled on the ground, but you thought of us after all. Heavenly Father, we pray that as Pastor Patrick brings your message and as we break bread together, we pray that you would bless our hearts, fill us by your spirit, and may we, may we feast on Christ by virtue of our faith, We'll thank you for it. Bless Pastor Patrick as he brings your word. May his words be your words. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. There is a painting 
by the British artist Holman Hunt. It depicts clearly the Lord Jesus prior to his earthly ministry, yet a grown man in a carpenter shop, presumably in Nazareth. He's standing and stretching as it appears to be in the morning sun. And a lady, presumably his mother, crouched beside him with her face turned so that you cannot see it, but you get the sense that there is a look of horror on it as she is looking at the back wall of the carpenter's shop as her son is stretching in the sunlight. And there, because of a wooden rack with nails hanging on it, there is the shadowy figure of a cross and a man hanging on it. It is, of course, an artist's interpretation of an event that is imagined, but it nevertheless conveys the truth concerning the Lord Jesus. From the moment that he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, his life moved inexorably toward that cataclysmic event that is Calvary, where he would lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice for sinners. And in a very real sense, all of us who know Jesus throughout the course of our lives, while we rejoice in his resurrection, nevertheless continue to live in the shadow of the cross. The Lord Jesus knew the suffering that would be his. Being fully God, though in the body of a man, He was under no illusions. He knew the suffering that awaited him. And that becomes abundantly clear as we see him in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. For having gone there and asked for his disciples to watch with him, they could not. And we come to understand in this moment that unlike any other human being in the whole entire course of history, he truly would be alone. Gethsemane. The word means olive press. I'm no expert in the matter of olives, nor in pressing them. But in listening to others describe it and talking about the process, what becomes apparent is that extracting the precious oil from an olive requires great effort. That fruit must be gathered with others and ground and pressed with great pressure in order for the oil to be extracted. And we come to see that the Lord Jesus, in that hour in which he stared in the face the cup that would be his, saw that intense, inexorable pressure that he would come to be under on Calvary's cross. Mark tells us in chapter 14, verse 32, that they went to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. We can read those words, distressed and troubled, and perhaps we don't appreciate the full intent of the meeting. 
The word trouble in particular conveys the notion that he was gripped by horror. Now here is the man who is fully God, who having existed before the worlds were created, being the one through whom everything was made, who knew all things, is gripped with horror. And he said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. The words convey accurately because he spoke them what he was feeling. But I would suggest to you that none of us here can can understand fully what the Lord Jesus was even then beginning to endure. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell. It doesn't say that he sat. It doesn't say that he stopped or that he stumbled. But the pressure even at that moment was so great and so intense that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the body of a man fell on the ground and prayed. He called out to the one that he knew. He called out to the one that he had loved for all eternity. He called out to the one who had never forsaken him at any moment throughout the course of his life or ministry. The one that he sought throughout every hour of the day and night. Sometimes throughout the night. Oftentimes going to a private place by himself to seek the Father in prayer. He went to the one that he knew and he loved. Having fallen there in desperation, asking if it were possible that the hour might pass him by. Do you get the import of this? It is the Lord Jesus, not only who was inexorably moved to this moment, but he was determined to face this moment. He is the one who had turned his face toward Flint, toward Jerusalem, like Flint, like a a stone, like one that was determined to go and nothing could dissuade him. The disciples tried. Peter, having confessed boldly, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Hardly a sentence later, when Jesus told them that he must suffer and die at the hands of the Jews, said, oh Lord, may it not be. This same Peter who was commended, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, suddenly heard the words, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus knew his mission. He knew what he had come to do. So it wasn't that he was moved to this moment. He walked into it, willingly, knowingly, with eyes wide open. And yet, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Don't be under the mistaken notion that the Lord Jesus was looking for an escape clause. He does not fail in this hour just as he does not fail in any hour. Everything he did was pleasing to the Father. 
There is no shadow of turning with him. But in this intense moment, the Lord Jesus prays aloud, knowing his mission, knowing what he has come to do, knowing that he's come to reconcile sinners, yet surely for the benefit of those who could hear him, those who were nearest, he prayed aloud, at least in order that they might know that not only is this the only way, this is the only possible way. For had there been any other way open, the Father in this moment would have been under obligation to have opened that door and provided salvation by some other means. We are here tonight, not just because Jesus is the only way. He is the only possible way. Do you see in this cry to the Father as he calls out in agony, let this cup pass from me, had there been any other way possible, then in that moment the prayer would have been answered. Salvation would have been ours by another means. But there is no other means. The cup, as our pastor in a recent Lord's Supper wonderfully expounded upon the notion, the idea that the cup represents to the Lord Jesus and in fact is the wrath of God. Ezekiel chapter 23, thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup, speaking to his own people, that is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow. And then this, a cup of horror and desolation. You shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breasts. The words are stark. They're violent. But do you begin to get a notion of just what the cup is? Isaiah 51, in much the same way, says, Behold, I have taken your hand, the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. And so the Lord Jesus sees clearly. The horror of it all is there before him. And while he prays, he does not turn away from his task. There are many things that horrify me, and I suppose... You can think of things as well. When I think of a cross at just this moment, I remember one that for many years, and it may still be there, that stood beside the interstate, I-26, in the eastbound lane just above the Saluda River Bridge. It was, I suppose, somewhere in 1998 that Kathy and the kids and I were making our way to Waynesville in the midst of a torrential downpour. Much traffic on the road, and we suddenly came to a spot where there was smoke and debris literally rolling across the highway. And just in a glimpse, we saw the evidence of a wreck in the median beside us. I got to the side of the road as quickly as I could. I told Kathy and the kids to stay put. I took what cell phone I had in those days, just a flip phone, running back toward that site, calling 911, asking for first responders. Others began to make their way there too. 
the cross that was beside the highway was there, and it had on it simply the name Pam. I saw her breathe her last. I could not do anything for her. It was clear as I saw her, even as her brother, who identified himself, was crying out in the loudest, harshest voice perhaps I've ever heard. And had to immediately turn to two children who were in the median. The rain was pouring down. The water was gushing through the center and it was washing over them. And I knew we couldn't move them. The most I could do was lie down and act as a dam to divert the water so it would go around them. And eventually the rain stopped. The water went down. First responders came and they did what they wonderfully do. That's the type of thing that they face day in and day out. That's been over 20 years ago now. Those images are still stark in my mind. And as difficult now as it is to speak of it, I still think that there beside the highway was a cross with the name of a person who I never heard speak. I do not know if she had salvation. I do know that I later, later met the boys in the hospital. They both had suffered brain damage and would never be the same little boys they had been before. That causes me to draw back in horror, even as I'm thankful for those who are willing to face that every day for us. But Jesus... Jesus faced so much more. That was those few lives in that brief span of time. But what Jesus saw before him was an eternity of lives and suffering and the ravages of sin. And he was willing to drink the cup for us. I have trouble understanding simple things. Matters like this are much beyond me. I turned to Jonathan Edwards in a great sermon entitled Christ's Agony. He says concerning this Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus had then a near view of that furnace of wrath into which he was to be cast. He was brought to the mouth of the furnace that he might look into it and stand and view its raging flames and see the glowings of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. There are two things that render Christ's love wonderful. One, that he should be willing to endure sufferings that are so great and two, that he should be willing to endure them to make atonement for wickedness that was so great. But in order to its being properly said, Christ of his own act and choice endured suffering that was so great. It was necessary that he should have an extraordinary sense of how great these sufferings were to be before he endured them. This was given in his agony. And so on this night, 
as we recognize that just moments prior to this, he had shared with his disciples that supper that we now come to observe. That Jesus walked willingly into that horrible experience that is the wrath of God poured out upon him. But he was not a passive participant. He was not a victim. He was a willing sacrifice. And he took that cup. And he drank it to the dregs. For you and for me. Others had faced death. Others would come to face it. Christians were able to face death with great courage. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were put to death on the grounds of Oxford, burned alive at the stake. It was, it was Hugh Latimer who said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Other testimonies throughout the course of history are like that, expressing great courage, facing death, knowing that suffering is before them. And yet, as Polycarp said to his executioners, he said, this fire will only be lit for a little while. You know nothing of the fire of God's wrath. So bring it on. But Jesus, much differently. He endured what he did in order that we might be able to face with, face death with the courage that we do. He, staring into that cup, that seemingly bottomless, fathomless cup, knowing that it was his to drink. We can give thanks tonight that he did, that we might never have to face such a prospect ever when our faith abides in him. That's why we make much of this week. That's why we come together on this night. It's not commanded that we do. It's not necessary. But how can we do anything other then live our lives in the shadow of the cross, knowing all that the Lord Jesus has purchased there for us. Tim Keller says, that love whose obedience is wide and long and high and deep enough to dissolve a mountain of rightful wrath is the love you've been looking for all your life. No family love, no friend love, no mother love, no spousal love, no romantic love. Nothing could possibly satisfy you like that. All those other kinds of loves will let you down. This one never will. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, are looking into things too wonderful for us. too awful for us to comprehend. Thank you that we need not understand fully 
Thank you that even with a childlike faith, we can turn from sin and embrace the Savior and have eternal rescue. Lord, grant that as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus in these moments, that we may come with our eyes wide open, discerning his body, grateful for his sacrifice, living always knowing that there is a glorified man in heaven whose hands and feet still bear the wounds and they plead for us and we are safe. So bless us, we pray, to know him more fully and we pray in no other name but his Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As we think of him, we adore this glorious Lord, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world.
we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, it of course is important, first of all, to understand that this is the table of the Lord Jesus. It is his supper that he instituted on the night of the Passover, transforming a meal that had been observed over centuries, commemorating God's rescue of his people from Egypt. On that night, which they were to have packed everything and baked bread without leaven, lest they take too long so that they could leave. It had been the final plague that moved Pharaoh to tell Moses to take his people and go. That final plague was the worst of all, the death of the firstborn in every household except those that had upon them, the, upon the doorposts and the lentils, the blood of a lamb. A special lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without fault or defect. Only that kind of lamb was to be used. A meal was to be eaten. And forever after, God's people were to remember his rescue. And then Jesus comes. And on the night of the Passover, presiding over a meal that the disciples had known since childhood, that all of Israel had learned down through the centuries, he comes to the moment where he transforms it into something wonderful. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so the Lord Jesus took this meal that had been instituted long ago and demonstrated its fulfillment. It wasn't, after all, a matter of looking to the past. It was looking at the one who was at the table. Here was the lamb without blemish that would take away the sin of the world. And so we, too, look back to God's rescue. That is ours through the Lord Jesus. But we also look to the present for this is our meal at this moment to partake of. Knowing that the grace of God is present with us here. That the Lord Jesus is present with us here. Not physically. He's at the right hand of the Father. But by his Holy Spirit. He surely is present. But also to the future. When we will partake of this meal. In the Father's kingdom the great marriage supper of the Lamb. 
past, present, and future. More than our minds can comprehend. But we have a Savior who has done everything necessary for us. And so this supper represents to us that very sacrifice on that night. Bread, his body, nailed to a cross. The fruit of the vine, the juice of the grape, his blood shed for our sakes. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. These things we call to mind, and this we observe. And so all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ are welcome at this table. You need not be a member of this church. It is important, however, that you are a believer and that you have trusted in Christ, and that even as a believer, you come transparently, acknowledging sin, confessing of it, not trying to hide it or redefine it or reason or rationalize it away, calling sin what it is according to God's holy word, confessing it, repenting of it, and knowing that there is forgiveness and union with Christ, salvation that is ours, for we're saved to the uttermost. We eat the bread and drink the cup because of this one who paid it all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, for this meal. We thank you for the bread and all that it represents. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the cup, for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus that cleanses us of every sin, knowing that he has not left anything undone that needed to be done in order to achieve for us the rescue that we now know and we shall one day experience in full when we will see him as he is and be like him. So, Father, we ask you to accept our thanks and bless this meal. Extremely ordinary elements, but asking as we partake of them by faith, you might bless them to an extraordinary end to strengthen us and encourage us and build us up in the faith. That having experienced the Lord Jesus here, the living of our lives may look like we've been with Jesus more and more. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask the elders who will serve to come forward at this time and just remind you. As we've read that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, having given thanks as we have just done in his name, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'll ask as you take the elements, as is our practice, that we each hold them until everyone is served, and then we will eat and drink together.
And in the same manner, after the supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup again, having given thanks as we have done in his name and asked him to bless this meal. He took it and said, this cup, not the cup of wrath, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. For the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it. All of you. Once again, let us pray. Almighty Father, strong to save, 
glorious one who has loved us before the foundation of the world, who has provided for us the unblemished lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We give you thanks for a savior so great that not one of his is lost or ever will be. Oh, Father, open our eyes that we would see no man except Jesus and him only. Open our hearts that we may continue to receive him gladly and trust in no other. Give us, oh God, we pray, faith that may endure, knowing that where men failed, the man, our Savior, Christ Jesus, prevailed and ever makes intercession for us. We praise you and we thank you. We worship you and we adore you. And so, stand with me. Receive the benediction, and then let us sing together. May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now, uh, both now and forevermore. Amen. Dawn of the darkest day.